Let's go back to a Go Loud original. Introduce Miss Dunham's substitute. This is Mr. Schneebly. All right, look, I've got a hangover. Who knows what that means? Doesn't that mean you're drunk? No. It means I was drunk yesterday. Now at the most prestigious prep school in the country. Yes, Tinkerbell. That poster charts everyone's performance. Where the students are rewarded for following the rules. What kind of a sick school is this? He's going to teach them a lesson. There will be no gold stars or demerits. That will rock their world. It's called Rock Band. Is this a school project? It will go on your permanent record. Hello, Harvard, yo. Hello, and welcome to Let's Go Back to School of Rock. My name is Owen Sheehan, and every week myself and Sue Murphy go back and watch some of our favorite movies television shows and i'm not going to lie to you this week we are being incredibly self-indulgent we are picking a personal favorite of both of ours i'm sure if you're with us it's probably a personal favorite of yours as well it is an absolute staple of the rewatch rotation it is school of rock so we're going back to 2003 to mike white and richard linklater and jack black all coming together to create something truly beautiful sue what were your memories of this when it first came out Oh, when it first came out, I I don't think I saw it in the cinema. I the, the first time I watched it was in Extravision. So I was working on I, I think everyone is like the what's what's that degrees of Kevin Bacon? It's like that and with Extravision. Everyone knows somebody who works Extravision. I was there for years, but it was one of the you had to have like a, a group of DVDs that you could always go back to that you could just put on in the background. And mine were School Rock, the SpongeBob uh, SquarePants movie that used to drive everyone mad. I love, I just love it. And Star Wars Episode Five, And they were, they were kind of right. the ones that I was like, you could put them on. I know them back to front. <laughs> They're fine. Wow. So I, re- I remember watching it over and over and over again to the point where I was told I wasn't allowed to have it on anymore, but I was going through a real like Jack Black phase at the time. And Interesting. What yeah. does Jack Black phase involve? Obviously, like what it says in the tin, I, I assume, but is there specific moments of Jack Black that appeal to you or something like that? Yeah, like I'm not, I wouldn't be like a big Tenacious D fan or anything like that, but I just, there is something about Jack Black and his energy and the enthusiasm he brings to everything he does that's kind of infectious. And I think sometimes you, you do get to a point where you're like, right, I've had enough. I've had enough Jack Black now. I'm completely exhausted from Jack Black. <laughs> but I, there is something about his personality and his character. I, ju- I just love that enthusiasm. It's like you only watch the first couple of minutes of Scooter Rock and people are uh, like the guys in the band are giving out about him. And I'm like, why are you giving out about him? He's having a great time. He's like, really mm. engaging with the music, you know? So, yeah, that was my, uh, anything it. he was in, I would have watched him in. That's really interesting. So are we talking high fidelity, then maybe shallow I hal? High fidelity. And yeah. I love high fidelity as well. And then shallow hal and then school of rock is like hit number three. Am I kind of missing something there? Like no, the- no, that I, I think there's very few. <laughs> yeah. I just loved whenever, and to be honest, it was whenever he was a support character. I felt like you know, School of mm. Rock was probably the exception to that. But when he's the support character and he's the funny guy. He's brilliant. I don't know if he necessarily like hits like natural Libra was absolutely like I remember going to see that in cinema and being like so disappointed because it was terrible. Natural Libra was like that was such an important moment for Jack Black because 2006 you're talking close to his peak in terms of fame like this School of Rock is just such an absolute hit. You got like little bits and pieces then. Like he's really funny in Anchorman booting Ron Burgundy's dog off the side of the bridge is a hilarious moment. He's in Shark Tale um, and yeah. King Kong comes along and like yeah. Jack Black is cresting towards something and he's got his first proper lead since School of Rock in 2006 for Nacho Libre. And it's awful, really. I think I hate that movie so much. And for me, oh. that just colors my entire view of Jack Black. Yeah, I, I think he just... I think he gave in to the, the movie thing of like, let's keep going with this and just keep using this. And there were re- there just better ways to use him. Like his support performance in High Fidelity, you just like uh, every moment he's on the screen is brilliant. And the bit at the end where uh, John Cusack comes in and they're going to the club and he's going to play and he's like really scared about what he's going to start playing. And he just breaks into, I'll be really trying. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just... <laughs> 
like I just loved him in that and he I just fell in love with him after that and then naturally I think that was the end for me because when he came out in HSD you were just like this guy has a relentless amount of energy mm. and then naturally it was like no I, I can't I'm actually off the Jack Black train now I'm done which is I like I can't even I was a friend trying to think before I come on to this what is the last thing I watched Jack Black in? I can't remember him being in anything in a long time Jumanji the that uh, remix that was remix remake that was done a couple of years ago and there was, no couple, there was two Jumanches was there was there two Jumanches yeah I think I yeah think I think it was oh there's a second one coming out I, it's one or the other but no or there's like no a, need to remake that especially when it's Robin Williams are trying to follow up that's just stupid a Kung Fu Panda <laughs> one two three really is and then like I mean then, then you're going back to like Tropic Thunder or something like properly oh great and I hate I hate Tropic Thunder so much and I like I disliked it and then when I watched it and everyone was going on about how funny it was, I was like, this is not funny. There is not <laughs> one part of this film that is funny. <laughs> but harsh. Kung Fu Panda is amazing. Have you seen Kung Fu Panda? Oh, of course I've seen Kung Fu Panda. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. They're they're really, really good animations. And I remember this, the second one in particular, I was like, wow, this is... And it was a really good voice performance from him. Yeah, that's probably the last one, the last thing I've seen him in. But yeah, yeah. I, I just he just disappeared off the radar. I think that the holiday is an underrated Jack Black. Uh, we're, we're just, we're just, holiday. Just, you hate the holiday. <laughs> I hate, like passionately hate the holiday. I mean, we are four months early, but I mean, this is a debate that we need to have this Christmas. Hold, hold your horses here. The holiday is an absolute classic it of a is, Christmas film. Everyone is just caught up in the fact that the holiday is a Christmas film. It's not actually a good film. That's that's what happens. I so disagree. you watch something, you're like, oh, this is a great like Christmas one. That's fine. I'll watch any old crap as long as they have a Christmas tree in the background. That's what's happening. And then yeah. you just take it in by the fact that, you know, some of the cast are okay. But there well, is a Christmas Kate, tree in the background. So it's class. Yeah. And Jude Law's in it. Nobody wants to watch that much Jude Law, ever. <laughs> so. Yeah, one, one quarter of the movie is Jude Law, which is probably a little bit uh, too, too much. much. Uh, we have uh, Divin. Divin, we've dived straight into the uh, Jack Black <laughs> Filmography. I have lost my uh, ability to speak uh, this afternoon. It seems uh, we dive straight into the Jack Black filmography. Uh, like just going back to 2003, it's interesting that you kind of like talk about it being uh, an extra vision. Extra vision is the, the part that plays uh, that, that gives it the importance in your life. And it was definitely a DVD movie for me. I didn't see this in cinema, but I would have gone to the cinema regularly. But it was yeah. um, later on that year. I think it came out on DVD in and around September of 2000. Or maybe 2004, even I, I, one, I think one of those it was 2004. Years. It felt like it was a bit later than cinema, yeah. I, I was probably looking at the, the US time, it was probably released in the United States in 03, and then 04 comes over here, and then DVD that, that, uh, that autumn. And I mean to say that DVD got absolutely battered. I would say it got scratched just from literally watching it. It was an incredible volume of rewatches, and, and even like just thinking about it, obviously, the whole premise of this podcast is to go back and rewatch stuff that we like to rewatch. And something like School of Rock is something that I didn't really need to rewatch this week in order to tell you every single line in it, because we just absolutely flogged it as kids. Like I was nine or 10 when this came out. So I was perfectly in that range to be swept away by these kids being amazing musicians because I was the same age as them. And I I just kind of had this like pang in my stomach. And I was like, if this came out today and it was on Netflix, people wouldn't rewatch it. And and the rewatch is, is what's so vital to this movie, getting to know every single lyric of the songs, every single a uh, zinger of a joke that's coming at every single moment but if this was on netflix you probably move on to the next thing like the beauty was having the dvd and that was yeah. it you had like four or five dvds that you could watch and just watching it day after day after day if it was the school holidays if it was the weekend you'd watch school of rock every single day <laughs> like i i think what the appeal of it is as well is that dvd rewatch part is definitely a big part of it but the it's it kind of aimed at that 10, 11, 12, 13 age group, but you could still get great enjoyment out of watching it as an adult. And yeah. it it's very hard to make a good film with kids in it that's that appealing. And I think that's what, like the cast of the kids in this, their ability to play those instruments is absolutely unbelievable. But I think that's what, but like, like absolute dream, what works about it really, really well rewatch it over and over again but a really good cast and you can rewatch it like I mean what age was I at the time it was about 20 21 when I started watching it and I we watched it again last night and I was like no nah, still love it yeah still think it it's great totally holds up you do like pick up different bits and pieces here maybe through different eyes but to be honest with you 
you're laughing at the same parts. No matter what age you are, you're laughing. It, it is truly universal jokes. It's not like, oh, they've got like some hidden gems there for the adults. They're like, no, <laughs> screw that. It's like the whole thing. We, we want to appeal to everybody. Just go for the dad joke. Yeah, exactly. It's just everything is funny about this. And it's great. And, and it's interesting. I was just kind of going back, looking at a few interviews that Jack Black did around the time that this was released. And this whole idea of a kid's movie. And I think his quotes kind of pertain 18 years later. He says, it's kind of a drag that kid's movie automatically equals crap these days and I think that's yeah. kind of the same I think like animation has definitely reached a higher art form than where it was in 2004 no question about that but kids movie is separate I think and, and I do think it still equals crap unfortunately in a lot of places but, but Jack Black made this really interesting point he said it's because people are extra careful around kids now and they talk down to kids but I love the old movies like the Bad News Bears or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and that's actually such a good point and even just at Christmas last year Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was on as opposed to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And it was like, this is mad. This is hilarious uh, how completely wild we, the, the, this version of Willy Wonka is. Like the, this script is completely, it's just completely way over the head of the Johnny Depp version of, of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, as it were. And it's just kind of like- Which I've never what? watched. I refuse and, and, and to watch you it. Shouldn't. You absolutely shouldn't. And it's just kind of like, <laughs> everything is just going to hell of a lot more safe when it comes to these kids' movies, as as they are incorrectly referred to, it's universal movies is, is what I would call them. And I think Willy Wonka is, is a great example. And I think School of Rock is is right in that category. Yeah, there's a couple of times in when I was watching this last night where I wondered, would that have been taken out if it was made now kind of thing? So it was... The so the, the kid fancy pants, as he likes to call him, who yeah, okay. the, the guy, I was like... I don't think they get away with that now, I think. And for different reasons. Yeah, like I just I don't think it was even that insulting, but I I think it was more so that I don't know if you've read any interviews with that guy who played that kid afterwards, Fred Delato, I think his name is. And he he said that he didn't even understand at that stage if he was gay or not. He Mm. was far too young to understand. And he said he remembers after the film, a couple of guys were mocking him about it and he was like oh well okay it's not cool to be gay so I won't be gay and he kind of denied it to himself when he was in college and then came out in college but had a very long road to get there and a difficult road because he was the gay kid from School of Rock and mm. that that really struck with me I was like wow okay I you know they really you know you're the gay kid who's going to make all the clothes and we're going to call you fancy pants yeah I was like that probably nowadays wouldn't have made it in there and at one stage he calls is it Tamika that's the girl yeah Tamika who the, who sings and he calls her tur- is it turkey soap he has a, a nickname yeah. for her. and I was like is am I, am I is that offensive I can't but the fact that I was even starting to think about it if you know what I mean like you're operating in a different way watching these films now because you're you're just like you're, t- mm. you're taking everything as being offensive before you're even thinking about it which I think is an unbelievable way to watch them now but yeah. some of that stuff wouldn't made it in. It's interesting. Like I, I do think what he is talking about there with regards to kids' films is a bit is a little bit different to what you mean there because I, I totally agree on the fancy pants thing. I when I was looking back at that, I was like, that's just kind of poor to be honest. I'm kind of like that's yeah. a little bit that's a little bit problematic to say at least in 2021. That doesn't make uh, the, the the cut the turkey sub one. I guess he calls her turkey sub because she gave him a turkey sub to eat. And uh, that was uh, why, why he referred to her as that. I know, so, yeah. per, per... I know. I was just like, is it offensive? He's talk- He's basically calling her food. And in another stage of the film, she kind of acknowledges that she's, yeah. And that yeah, he's fair. a big guy. So you're just kind of like, oh, like it just didn't sit well. And then I was like, God, this is a kid's film. Let it go. I think we are like going back to his point a little bit we've just become really paranoid and safe about what we do with these films. Like, you know, the fact that all the kids disappear and go on the bus later on in the film and like mm. she goes in and goes, I'm sorry, all of your kids have gone missing. Like some of that stuff, you just wouldn't get away with. I, I like, I don't know. I feel like you wouldn't now, you know? And yet it is like one of the laugh out loud moments when John Cusack comes into the room <laughs> parents and is like, I'm just bringing you up to speed. All your kids are missing. And like, I mean, that that is like that that is absolutely I for me, that is something that people should be trying to convey in films and in, in, in as absurd a way as possible. You can be really brave with that sort of stuff without being a little bit homophobic. 
you know, or yeah. a, a little bit problematic on that front. I think there, there, these are two different things. And it definitely was something that I, I took from that as well, that we are way too safe in, in, in a lot of ways, way on a lot too of fronts. Safe. And the way he speaks to the kids, sorry, just, just to, to finish on that, is the, it, he doesn't, he speaks to them like they're, they're equals. He doesn't treat mm. them like they're idiots or they're less than him. He, like, I love the way, and one of my favorite things about this film is the way he empowers the kids to think, you can play that guitar, you can go out and sing that song. Like it's, I, I think that's a beautiful thing that he does, but he now in, encouraging them, treats them. He decides, okay, my band's not working out. This band is great. And he never once seems to second guess the fact that this new band is all kids. That didn't matter. Yeah. Like, I really like that about it. He just treats them as equals. And I, it's probably some of the stuff that he's hinting at, but mm. it's, it's just really sweet. I think that's lovely. But by and large, absolutely it is. And it's it's probably a good thing to kind of like touch on here now. This idea of if if we want like okay, this is not a movie that we want to be finding potholes in, but if we <laughs> if we wanted to, if we wanted to, you know, judge the the how good a principal Joan Cusick's character really is in this, and I think there's a, a number of things that we can be a little bit concerned about, like him showing up and I think from the very early moments of the movie it's pretty evident or should be evident to her. Is this guy actually the right guy to be teaching your class? I mean, you've literally said to him that this is the most prestigious elementary school in the entire state. And this guy shows up and is like, what's time? What time's lunch? What, 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 what time can I, I check? Home? Yeah, I'm actually not going to be around this afternoon. Yeah, uh, it's just kind of like, hmm, is, is there not a little bit of a of an alarm bell going off? Like, there doesn't seem to be any sort of background check there whatsoever. No, no background check whatsoever. Like even when she like walks into the room, and obviously this is all part of the joke, but she, she walks into the room and he's like teaching like advanced applied physics and like doing E equals MC squared. And it's like this is an elementary school. Like maybe our education system in Ireland is so backwards that actually leaving cert physics is on a par with elementary school basics in the United States. I don't know. I could be wrong. And then also there is the whole business of basically taking the biggest risk of all time, which is when they're away doing the audition and she comes to the door and uh, they have the the Jack Black thing on autoplay where he's talking about the, the uh, Christopher Columbus and his three boats and all that. And it's like, how are they confident that John Cusick is not going to open I'm the door? walk into that classroom. Yeah. And yeah. how come later on they are convinced she's going to walk down the corridor and come in the room? So I'm like, you got very, very lucky there. A lot of very, very close calls. But the closest call of all is at the very end when he's at the parent teacher night and <laughs> the police show. I just love that line. But the line he has where he's like, um, is it I've I've touched your kids? <laughs> they they've touched my they touched me, and I'm pretty sure I've touched them. And all right, it's, it's brilliant. And like the, the police are outside and all that. And yet it just cuts to Jack Black running down a corridor with his guitars in him. So why why does he not get jailed at that point is a question that I've always <laughs> wondered. Or why is he not at least spending a night in the cell and then the kids bail oh. him out the next day or something? Yeah. It would have been quite an easy way to do it. But did the police, after standing there and listening to this man saying, I'm pretty sure I touched your kids, they're just like, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, we're going to go home now. We've, we've done our job. I don't yeah, know. They never seem to, yeah, they never seem to follow up on that. It doesn't, it doesn't, like, actually, when we were watching it, I was like, Nick turned around to me and said, how did he get out of that door? They're all standing in the doorway yeah, and he managed exactly. to hustle back. That's my point. With two guitars. With two guitars. So he 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 like walks over <laughs> to a different part of the room after saying, I've touched your kids, picks up two guitars, walks past two policemen, Sarah Silverman, Mike White, Joan Cusick, and runs. So he That's runs. Cool. If he's, why would he be running if he's not running away from them? But somehow he's yeah. managed to find a way around them. I don't know. I think that this is something. That it's one of those. And I, I can never understand how they managed to get away with playing like Led Zeppelin and ACGC in the middle of school. And like somebody says, oh, I think I, I think I heard music. And I know he says to one of the kids, you need to soundproof the room. But I, yeah. I'm not quite sure. How they, I like every every scene afterwards. I was like, where is the soundproofing? Is that that in the back wall? It doesn't seem to be very soundproof. Well, that's the that's the genius of Gordon, the, the, the tech guru. He he has soundproofing that you don't even need to see. This This guy is. One of the most I'll underrated characters. The, the other kind of um, inconsistency or, or maybe curiosity about Dewey Finn is about the fact that you mentioned it there, the way he's able to talk to the kids as equals, the way he's able to coordinate logistically such a great plan should the principal come into the room. 
how on earth is this guy in a fairly sorry state in his life as a result? That there is just a, a, an inconsistency there in his character. This guy is a, is a brilliant, intelligent, enlightened man on so many occasions, and yet he is depicted as a waster. I, I don't, I don't get that. Is 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 there something that adds up there? Is is that just kind of like uh, corrupted brilliance or something, or or is this just actually? It's funny, isn't it? Because like the very thing that Sarah Silverman and Mike White are giving out to him about about being the, you know, you don't have a job, you don't do the nine to five, you don't like you're not properly in society is what he is trying to get the parents to be okay with in terms of their children. So he's like, it's fine that they're not going to go to school. You know, this guy's going to be like the next Jimi Hendrix. He just seems to perpetuate that. But I think you're meant to you're meant to believe and understand that his dedication to music is just so all consuming yeah and that 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 this is the thing that completely motivates him and is his bread and butter every day of the week is is rock music yeah that that he even says it to to ned at one stage you know you gave up the dream and he's like i'm determined to just live out this dream it doesn't matter which band i'm gonna have and this is this is the dream i'm gonna live it yeah, what what's the exact uh, line? I'm I'm not a satanic sex sex goddess anymore. Uh, as, as like <laughs> like by way of saying I've 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 moved on with my life. I, I like, that, that's one that I think that's the line that I'm like yeah I uh, I kind of uh, didn't really appreciate too much at the time. Like it, it's interesting that uh, you mention um, playing Led Zeppelin in the school and, and that sort of decision. It's also interesting the decision to actually play Led Zeppelin at all. In the movie, and this isn't something that I that I realized, but Led Zeppelin apparently notoriously yeah. stingy about granting rights to its films. Like, okay, I don't want to generalize here, and I, I apologize to any great rock anthem producers that may be listening to, to this. If if anyone from Led Zeppelin or their families are listening, or Rolling Stones, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I apologize. But it does seem that there are an awful lot of these sort of stories out there where all these sorts of bands are unbelievably precious about. The rights of their music and sell them for just extraordinarily high figures which prohibits them from ever appearing in movies maybe that's the way i would do it as well but it it always seems like it's a band like led zeppelin or that era that come up in these conversations but anyway um link later tried to get um a, a couple of songs from led zeppelin or maybe it was just one song for, for days and confused yeah um, and he couldn't get it and yeah uh, they, they had to move on and basically to get immigrant song in this movie and i'm not sure how that scene works without the immigrant song to be quite honest with you it's just absolutely brilliant but uh, yeah. link later gets jack black to make a personal plea so i think they well i don't think this is what jack black said he says we recorded the scene with the zeppelin song and an aerosmith song and something else but the zeppelin one was the only one that really infused the scene with the high voltage energy that we wanted so they had actually recorded it then they recorded him talking in front of a thousand extras and made their case the Led Zeppelin for the song. And then Jack Black says, I just sort of improvised with a little crowd participation uh, on the set that day. And by God, it worked. We sent it along with some clips from the film and they allowed us to pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars for the song. <laughs> Fair play to them. Like, I I kind of understand when you, you're a band like Led Zeppelin and you have a song like Immigrant Song and it's instantly, I mean, first note recognisable. Hmm. You will want to be precious about that. Sure. And... I, I can completely understand that you don't want it to be in every film. and But you are so willing to pay for that amount of money to have that song because it's, it is a moment in the film. Like when you think of School of Rock, it's probably one of the first things you think of is that scene where he's going, ah. you're like, oh yeah, I remember mm. that. That's amazing. Or the, like I always think of the Ancello, you know, I lo- I, like yeah. all of his, like, I, it's just one of those moments that really lifts the entire film. You're going to pay Led Zeppelin a lot of money for it. I just, I just love it. It's just a brilliant section. And he's amazing in it because you can tell how much he loves that song. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair fair point, I guess. I just always feels that whenever it's like ex-artist charges billions of euro for their song, <laughs> it's always like Led Zeppelin or, as I said, Rolling Stones or some other British band from the 1970s. But you I know, think they're right own. to do that. And no, I definitely think they're right to do that, though, because otherwise you're just going to have it overused. And then. When, it, when they are used, there are moments in films where you'd be like, I remember distinctly when that song was used in that film and mm. it becomes a different thing. So I can understand what they are really precious about. Like the one I always talk about is, the, and I don't think it's used in that many films, it's been used a good bit lately, is 
Um, Johnny Cash is um, when the man comes around and they use it at the start of Dawn of the Dead. And it's just, it, it is perfect. You're going to pay a lot of money for that song because it is perfect for that opening credit. So if it fits, that's the, that's what you're going to have to do, you know? Yeah, I guess it's just the way of the world. Uh, what is, in your opinion, the best scene in the movie? <sighs> so cliche to say it, but I, I love the end. I yeah. love when they start chanting School of Rock and they get them all to come back on the stage and they come off their encore and they've lost, which I found out about actually, you know, the, the poor guy who, who passed mm. away, who plays uh, the guitarist, was actually the one who suggested the end. Yeah, he was like, we should go. Why, why don't we do an encore? Why didn't they call us for an encore? And that's the end that they went with. Because the two ends they shot with were they lost and they won. But neither was kind of fitting for what the message they wanted to get across. So they had them lose. And then everyone, the entire crowd called them back onto the stage. Which I just think is amazing that this like 13 year old has written the end of the film. But um, I love it. I just think it's just I love how all of the parents, it's like that moment in Sister Act as well where they all realize how talented their kids are. Like, oh my God, I didn't realize how great my kid was. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, you're a great parents. All of them collectively realize how great their kids are. And it's ju- it just, it's Jack Black in the ACDC kind of school outfit. It's just brilliant. And when he jumps into the crowd, like I, it makes, it still makes me laugh every time. I'm not quite sure why, but I just think it's just a lovely, it's just a lovely end to all that because you kind of feel like, okay, well, this is the end. He's not going to be able to continue like this forever. So this is their moment. So what does it lead on to? And now all of these kids have realized their potential and their parents have realized their potential and they're actually really good musicians. So there's just mm. something really nice about that end scene that I really, really like. There's What's a lot yours? in that. Yeah, well, no, I just want to stick on that end scene for a while because there's, there's a load of different bits in there. First of all, the stage dive is great because it goes full circle on the entire story and um, I think that's like a beautiful way to end it. I I, I do like the the um, rock school ending to it, but I think that it, if you end it at, at that moment, it's actually not the worst ending because the movie starts with him uh, jumping off a stage and into a man with a drink and slamming himself on the floor. And <laughs> it ends with him gloriously, finally being held up uh, by by people worshipping as a as a rock god. So I think that's a really happy moment there. I, I, I like on a purely... Um, musical level i love the ending i think that the performance on stage at the end is an amazing piece of choreography and music simple as that i think it's just absolutely it's absolutely class yeah. and it is throughout the movie in fairness uh, th- there is actually um a group of friends of mine i'm not i'm not saying this by way of telling a story about myself this is genuinely a group of friends of mine <laughs> that is not involving me but every year they get together and watch school of rock at christmas and then they have Aww. then they have a debate after they watch school of rock <laughs> And the debate is, did School of Rock deserve to win Battle of the Bands? And it's something that I always ponder when I watch that final scene, because we only get a glimpse of it, but you can listen to the full thing on YouTube of that No Vacancy song. Is so bad. What? No, oh it's not. Dan, no, no it's well, not. I don't know. Maybe was... it's colored by the fact that, what's the name of the guy with the long hair? Is like Snake, like... Spider, not <laughs> Snake, Spider. Like I can't take my eyes off him. It's impossible to take your eyes off when he's dancing on the stage. And I just ruled them out after that. I was like, no, they're awful. All right. No. Well, I, I want to come back. To, I want to come back to Spider in a moment. But um, no vacant, no vacancy. Heal me, I'm heartsick. Uh, all four minutes and forty seven seconds of it are available on YouTube. It is a better song than the song that School of Rock uh, perform. I no, guess it's not. The, the only reason they, the only reason they get an encore is because. Their moms and dads are in the crowd. Like it's it's literally a partisan audience before things start. Of course, they want to see them again. And uh, and I mean, they're it's a novelty seeing kids perform. But no vacancy. The Battle of the Band, two thousand three organizers in that particular place, nailed it with their pick. No vacancy deserved to win Battle of the Bands. And uh, I mean, there's a reason why they have that debate every Christmas. But I think it's a it's a pretty clear cut and dry thing because there one is a group of veteran rockers who, who who are polished and the other one is is good too but it's just I'm, not that I'm, good. I'm really questioning our entire relationship now because me our too. relationship is based on me believing that you have better taste in music than me and know more about music than me well I you think we're, bands finally all the time. To, <laughs> we're finally getting proof of that today 
that I'll be like, who are you talking about? Who are these people you're going to see? Never heard of them before in my life. Like genuinely, I always thought your music taste was better than mine. I would, but it is not. <laughs> I would pay 100 euro to go see No Vacancy perform at the Olympia. And uh, I might be the only person there. And who cares? Um, I, I, <laughs> That's what I say. You're the only person there. Two, two million <laughs> views on on that particular video that's on YouTube. There's another video, a lyric, a lyrics video of the video on YouTube, which got 1.7 million views. Uh, I mean, this is it's a great song, and I think it's just underrated. And I think that ending is even better as a result. But I like the encore. Don't get me wrong. And I think that School of Rock are great. They're a really good band. No vacancy, much better. And on the night, uh, they were class as well. Um, a couple of yeah. things, a couple, a couple of other things uh, that, that you touched on there that I want to touch on. I want to. I still. Remind me to come back to Spider because Spider is just um, one, of, one of my favorite things about this. But is there I a case? Is I sort of why is is there a case to be made that this whole movie, the theme isn't necessarily about children and enjoyment and you know not being so stuck up and all that all the time? Like, is this actually a, a story of class and actually those those very stuck up parents? telling their kids they need to be practicing classical music forget about rock forget about that rock nonsense it's all about classical music for you young boy or girl and then actually showing up and 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 being transformed by it like the whole idea of sticking it to the man the the idea that that jack black comes over to the to the board where the stars are and he tears it up because he's not a fan of the merits is it actually showing the the politics of, of dewey finn that that he hates he definitely hates the establishment. That's not a, a subtext whatsoever. But that this is actually a story of of um, the the less the, the, the non middle classes rising up and and rebelling against the institution. I, like it's so funny because I always draw comparisons between this film and Sister Act. Um, I I I feel like they're very 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 similar, except Whoopi Goldberg is it on. Um, but. <laughs> There's something about the, the class thing in that that I actually was talking to Mick about last night because I said that I feel like the parents in this film think that because they have invested like you would in a car or a house because they've invested in these children, they need to turn out a certain way. Whereas the Sister Act film, you feel like it's because the parents are struggling and they actually don't have time or you know money to dedicate to their careers so it's it I just felt like they if it felt like rich kids in a rich school with rich parents rock is just not good enough and it's funny when you're watching it I don't know if you feel the same as me I I kind of now I won't say panic but the entire time in the back of my mind I'm like are they learning anything that's going to be useful to the rest of their lives Mm. and they are of course they are because he's given them a history of rock and there's a lot of people that pay a lot of money <laughs> to get a history of rock from Jack Black but there, I, I kind of agree with you I think there is I think there is something about that there's something that he's showing them as students that they don't need to buy into that I think it really comes across with the guitarist is Zach mm. really comes across with him more so than anyone else because his father seems to be a real finance person um, and he wants his kid to perform in a certain way. And he's a bully. Like he's, he basically says to him, your dad's a bully. Like mm. stand up to him. There is something about that. There is something in there, I think, definitely. It's interesting. It does seem that even within the pool of kids that are in this, it doesn't seem like that they're, they're all like Zach or like, uh, what's this, or like Summer, when they both clearly come from very well-to-do families or are very posh kids as such. It does, it does feel that it's like a little bit of a, an inconsistency there as well or maybe that's just diversity of youth and that people aren't fully formed individuals yet it just feels that they're those two characters in particular maybe come from a very snobby place and other kids already have a more down-to-earth nature of themselves like it, it does seem like it's a very um fair cross-section of society as opposed to being a snapshot of the most prestigious elementary school in the entire state yeah like i, I always find it a bit strange that you know the bit where he's talking to her about being a, the groupies like somewhere in the groupies and he says, the three of you are going to be groupies. And then he said, Summer, I, I actually have a special position for you. And I always wonder, why did she get the position, special position? What She's was it tell. particularly, huh? 
she was going to tell her mom about all this. She was going to want you to bribe him, I suppose. That she is probably, I was about to say, is it because she's just smarter than everyone else in the room? Which is obviously like a big part of it. But they, I don't know. I just definitely, like, I definitely feel like those two in particular have been, their lives have been planned. Like if you go back, he's gone. And in 10 years, they're being forced to do college careers they don't want to do. I, I don't know. There's something about it that definitely feels like it has that kind of vibe from it. I was um, going back through Miranda Cosgrove's IMDb earlier oh, on yeah. because obviously for, for my ear, this is like one of the biggest child stars in the entire world from Drake and, and Josh. And I completely missed that. And I Carly. And yeah, <laughs> and like Drake and Josh and I Carly. I was looking back through it and her most recent credit on IMDb is I Carly 2021. Now I'm sure some people are, but well, I'm sure plenty of people are well aware of this, but there's clearly been an I Carly remake out there and it's completely flown over my head <laughs> so i don't know how that managed to, to to happen which is which is awful but like, that like is... you're my age group you just completely weren't aware of it at all so. well, well yeah it was like i mean this, this she, she was the first youtuber you know i i carly and her, and her online show and um like i mean this this you kind of go back through even like say five six years on from school of rock you're like oh who's who's making it who's not all those kids there is really None of them really got up to, to much, but then Miranda oh. Cosgrove was just on a completely different stratosphere entirely. Yeah. Um, like really the, the, the face of Nickelodeon, even though Disney Channel at that point was kicking Nickelodeon's ass, really. And all the, the major stars around that time were probably on Disney as, as opposed to Nickelodeon. But uh, she really made it. And I just wonder, was that actually noticed at the time as well that she was going to get the much bigger part because she, she was cresting to, to a wave as one of the, the biggest uh, I, I definitely felt like it she's so recognizable in that film and she's kind of she kind of feels like a better actress than the rest of those kids yeah. like the kids are all really good when they're really good musicians but she kind of feels like she's a step above everyone else but I, I don't know if you feel the same way as I do when you watch films with kids and then and you know they're going to be massive you're just kind of like, oh God, like the Drew Barrymore thing always plays in the back of my head. Mm. <laughs> just like, how are, the, how are these kids going to turn out? And it's interesting that how many of them just turned away from, like, School of Rock is their only credit. They just never got involved in the industry. They stepped back and were musicians. A lot of them were musicians, didn't get involved any further. A couple of them obviously had careers outside of that and some TV roles. But it's just, I always, I'm always very anxious about young young children who suddenly become massive yeah. like Miranda Cosgrove and how well adjusted they're going to be in their later lives I mean you can see it with the Olsen twins Drew Barrymore is a lot of kids that have had serious serious problems I think they I can't remember the base uh, player's name is she said she became addicted to drugs when she was 14 she was just pointed out as the base player from the from the band all the time by people she used to have men commenting on boards where they'd put up videos of her and say, oh, the bass player in this film is going to be really hot when she's older. Oh, God. And I just, like, I, I sometimes wonder, are Hollywood's health and safety regulations around children good enough? Are they protecting their mental health enough? I don't think they are. It'll probably start to come up a good bit in the next couple of years. But that's that's in the back of my mind whenever I look at Miranda Cosgrove. Is like... Yeah. Um. Rivka Reyes is the actor who yeah. plays Katie and she there is a, an 11 year gap in her IMDb which probably tells you all you need to know and uh, in fairness if you're a parent in that environment as well what are you doing are you are you pushing them onto the next thing or are you trying to, to protect them from everything it's yeah it's, it's a tough thing and um, got a little bit sidetracked there because I did ask you what your favorite scene in the movie is <laughs> for me I think there's one scene that's just above all others and there is just a huge difference between it and everything else and it's the auditioning for the band scene uh, auditioning in inverted commas when they come back in from music class and oh yeah he has the guitarist play the riff he has the pianist play a, a few notes on the piano he has katie playing g g g g g and it just all comes together and there are just a, a multitude of amazing lines in it from just because you're not in the band doesn't mean you're not in the band you've got the uh, the, the, the three singers trying to audition it just goes from moment to moment to moment and I think it's actually it's as close to a perfect scene as you're ever likely to get I think that it's it's quotable it's makes you really happy and for me it's it's just so much above everything else in this movie and what, what is a really good base yeah I love that scene as well and I, I like what we were going back to as well his ability to give those kids confidence to do what he knows they're capable of doing mm. is just amazing. 
like it the way particularly the way he speaks to Tamika and it's it's not that he's just saying that do you know if you have teachers who are just like oh I need to instill or be inspiring or whatever it is they're trying to do he's genuinely saying that to her in a you can really sing you could take on Aretha Franklin this guy's as good as Jimi Hendrix like I I just love his enthusiasm and that entire scene when they kind of realize this isn't just going to be a normal classroom project like we're basically going to be goofing off as Freddie calls it for the, the rest of the year I love that I love that realization when they just start to get into it or he makes them mad like what are you really mad about later on in the film what what makes you really really mad it's just it really quite it, it brings up a lot of questions for me around teaching and around the school program and the way we make children sit in a classroom all day in seats looking at a blackboard what are you learning what are you learning about life like surely you're learning a lot about life <laughs> playing in a band and realizing your potential and learning other things and just learning Christopher Columbus's three ships you know <laughs> that's the way I always feel about that scene I always feel like it's just the start of it it's the start of the peeling of the onion that everything's just going to happen from there on you know yeah absolutely it's a it's it's a really good point and and even on the little bits of confidence that he gives to you know like people like Lawrence for example when he when he comes over to him in the cafeteria and is like I'm not good enough and they have that little shake and uh and all that sort of stuff it's it's like really inspiring while also being really 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 funny and I I just love that scene I, I again it's one of those where you can like you're just waiting to be like cello it, you got a bass <laughs> oh, yeah. and it's just like you're 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 just there waiting to fill in the blanks at every single moment and yeah it's amazing how even though you're watching it when you're 10 every single week multiple times a day sometimes it's like you don't it doesn't actually leave you it's like a song it's like lyrics to a song these lines in the film never leave you yeah but I, I think there is something about like you're watching that as a cage or you're watching it as a 20 year old as I was and you're like god I wish I could play a musical instrument like that there is mm. something amazing about watching a kid picking up two drumsticks and being able to play the drums absolutely perfectly when he's meant to be 10. There, there's something great about that. And I love yeah. that. Like, it's just like, wow, these guys are actually really good musicians and much better than I will ever be. So. If I had to ask you who your favorite ancillary character was, so not Jack Black or anybody in the band, who are you going for? John Cusack is- every, every day of the week. Okay. Explain. <laughs> So I, I, we haven't talked about this before. I have an obsession with Joan Cusack. Okay. And the reason I have an obsession with her is because of the Adams Family values. <laughs> and you know, your face is a bit scary It's there. like just a very, but, it's a very strange rationale. <laughs> so have you seen Adams Family values? I actually haven't. And, and, I'm not going to pretend. Oh my, right. Okay. So she plays Debbie in Adams Family values, right? It's the second of the films, which is the better script and an infinitely better film is one of my absolute favorites. Like my husband has barred me from watching Adam's Family Values and Debbie Comes Here. They're the two films that are constantly in rotation in my house. But she she basically plays this gold digger that's called the Black Widow. And she comes she comes in to try and get Fester's money. So she's trying to convince Fester that she's in love with him and she's trying to take him away from the rest of his family. And honestly, it is one of the best comedic performances I have ever seen in my entire life. She is stunning, stunning in it. And ever since that, whenever she pops up in any film, I'm like, oh God, I love John Cusack. She is absolutely hilarious. And I love I love her whole Stevie Nicks bit in the middle where she's like sitting and you just know amazing, she's just yeah. dying to get up on that table and start dancing. And you're like, take those glasses off and break out of that dress. You don't belong in that dress. Like you're just waiting for that moment all the way through the film because you know she loves music and you know there's a personality behind it. And there's something really sad about the scene in the van when she turns to him and says, this is the first time that anyone outside the school has actually asked me to do anything outside of school hours. And just my heart breaks for her because you could tell she's just made herself a principal that doesn't have a personality that's just bland. And is making sure she's looking after these kids. But there's way more going on there. And I think she gives so many layers to that character that all she had to be was a boring principal. Mm. But she gives way more layers to that character than that's there. She's excellent. Excellent. What do you think happens between herself and Spider after the movie? (laughs) They set up Stevie Nicks tribute band. Like that's (laughs) that's the ultimate dream. 
I don't know. Like, I just love the way he's like, you're hot. You're really hot. And she's like, I'm sorry, are you warm? And you're just like, this is going to take a while. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I feel like she, I like in the back of my mind, feel like she continued her relationship with Dewey and they got, they just became really good friends. And she probably goes out for a few beers every now and again and kind of lets her play. The, um, the guy who plays Spider, there's a, an article here in the Metro from April this year being like, School of Rock fans floored by Discovery actor who played Heartthrob Spider is now a US district attorney. So uh, Lucas <laughs> Babin has uh, made a massive uh, career change. He, he was a model as well as being an actor. And uh, it turns out he's had a complete career change. Uh, he is the district attorney of Tyler County, Texas. And um, that's, the, that's the career arc for him. He's gone from wearing that leather arm piece to wearing a, a suit and has a very important job in, in real life. So maybe he's become Joan like, Cusick's character. <laughs> Doesn't seem like the type of guy you who swap. would like get, get up and uh, sing Edge of 17. No. <laughs> but the, I just love that scene, you know, when he's like... <laughs> that's what I always find so funny about that no vacancy thing is him just like swaying in the background with wearing barely any clothes with amazing hair like David Gilles hair you know I, I, just, I just love that like he's in it for what three minutes and he's just like you're I, I want to know more about that guy mm. he's, he's great and like but I, I mean I, I don't think that the, the hair is not in keeping with the band because let's not forget that the band is a phenomenal band and such a phenomenal band deserves <laughs> phenomenal hair the other um, ancillary characters, like for, for me, Spider is a big one. I think that uh, I would watch a, a, a spin-off on Spider. Uh, I really love the groupies. Like, the, are they twins? Are, are, are they, uh, I'm not sure if they are or not, but like when they, they're coming up to Jack Black in the cafeteria and they like want to call the band the Bumblebees and stuff like that. And he's like, no, 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 too nice. And then he's like talking to the principal. And, yeah, and then they come up behind him and it's like, how about pig rectum? Which I think is just a brilliant line. And then when he's like doing the round of the class and being like, "What? What's it all about? What's what's rock all about?" And one of the the boys is like scoring chicks. And then the groupies are like getting wasted. And so it's just like I'm 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 here for that as well. I th- I think every line that they have is it is excellent, and they oh, deserve I never recognition. Of them being... I just think of them all being so interchangeable in the background. But yeah, you're right. They're actually really really funny. Yeah, and and also Gordon the lights guy. Gordon the Lights guy is one of my favorites just because he he gets shit done and he got it done <laughs> at the end. He really had to step up and everybody's really impressed with his with his lights capacity. And also, as we said, I mean, the security operation was not an easy one whatsoever. And he managed to nail that all throughout. So I think I think he also deserves to be on like the Mount Rushmore of best ancillary characters. So it's like <laughs> the, the, the Mount Rushmore is like Spider's face. Gordon's face and then the other two heads are for the, the two groupies I don't know their names uh, and I don't know if they're twins and maybe it was just one of the girls who actually says the line but for me they're interchangeable because they're always beside each they're like the twins from The Shining and uh, <laughs> except, except they're funny uh, so, so so that would be my Mount Rushmore of ancillary characters for School of Rock yeah but like the, the disappointing one I suppose is Sarah Silverman and I think it's probably mm. because we know Sarah, Sarah Silverman now like when she yeah. was in that film at start you know, she was just another character who was the naggy girlfriend. And now we know she is hilarious and really, really funny and a really good writer and involved in lots of cool things. Like, and you're just like, oh, Sarah Silverman, you're so much better than being the naggy girlfriend. I never feel like you would ever be the naggy girlfriend in real life. <laughs> like, I love her her voice work in um, Wreck-It Ralph is just absolutely brilliant. And I just think she's great. But that really, it really disappoints me that it's her. When I go yeah. back to watch it again, I'm like, no, you're just too cool a person to be the naggy, naggy other half. Yeah, it is. And, and do, do we know what sort of path she was on at that point? Like, was she, I, but I guess it everybody was, in this is like comedy actor and they just got yeah. categorized as such. But well, I don't think she'd actually done like, I think she was a comedy actor, but hadn't done like her comedian work up to that point. And I think she, I think it was afterwards she got that series with Comedy Central. She got a couple of series of them, but I, I, this was the start for her. So you can understand why she's taking a role like that, obviously. But in hindsight, it's just like you're just not buying it because you know her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know that is that's a really good shout. It's like one of the most disappointing elements of this. It could have been so much better. Do you like, like do you would you watch a a sequel to this if, if there was one done or like no? No. I'm no, really and sh- like I, I know they talked head. about <laughs> 
shake, shake my head halfway through that question. I know they were talking about it for a while and that uh, Jack Black was saying there's no way we do it without the original crew that worked in the first one. And I can completely understand that. But I don't I don't know. It feels it feels a bit like Ferris Bueller for me. It feels a bit like a snapshot in time of a certain point in people's lives. And you, I, I just don't know if you want to know anything else about those characters afterwards. Like, I think you'd be entirely disappointed who who they become or who they be. Like, if they were talking about it in 2008 and then 2012, like, you know, those characters are all going up. So unless he's actually gone into another school of rock or I don't know how they were going to do it. But it's just, no, for me, it's like, it's just on the cusp of being 12, 13 and you're going into high school. And this is probably the end of this for you, this kind of thing. So, yeah, no, I, I, I like the idea of it just being a standalone. Interesting. I would never put this in, in with in the same categories for a speeder, but I, I kind of like that chat, to be honest. It is very kind of of its moment. And I don't know, as I say, I would have been happy enough without the sort of here's what happened next at the end during the credits with, with regards to the, to the rock school. Uh, and I'm, I'm totally happy with these movies just ending not on the cliffhanger, but not necessarily explaining to everybody what happened next. Um, just, like there's just a couple of other things yeah. just to, to wrap up on before we go to the general questions about how it's changed in time. Was, was there any one thing uh, striking striking to you after after your more recent rewatches of this movie that, that perhaps didn't strike you an extra vision in 2003? <laughs> I suppose having a kid has really changed it for me. Having a little girl has really changed how I saw School of Rock because I was like, you know, I obviously enjoyed it as a, as as the kids being musicians and all that kind of thing. But it was part of me that was like, God, I'd love if she learned all that stuff about the Ramones and ACGC, and that would be amazing. <laughs> you know, and there's a there's a a part of the back of my brain that's like, I'm going to be really disappointed when she goes off to school, and suddenly her life becomes really structured, like because that she's at, she's only like 19 months now, so she's at that great like I'll play with everything and run around like a lunatic all day. But there's something about school that's really sad for me that it just becomes structure and hours and homework and it takes away some of the innocence around play and childhood for me. And watching it back, I was just like, it's so heartwarming. It I I, I texted you last night and I said I forgot how heartwarming it is. It, and it was really just like the lessons that he teaches those kids will stay with them for the rest of their lives. Like you can imagine them being in their thirties going, we had this crazy guy who was a sub teacher for a while and he brought us off on in a van and, you know, we auditioned to be in a music band, but you know, I, I kind of learned that I didn't have to necessarily do math or, you know, that, that kind of thing. I, I just feel like the lessons he taught them were so much better than anything they were going to learn in the classroom. And watching that as a mother now has really changed the film for me. Mm. And it just makes me feel like, I really wish she would go and have an interest in something like that when she gets to that age, you know? That's really interesting because, like, I guess that's probably the thing that's changed for me as well, that, um, not that I have a kid, that you don't know of, Susan, I haven't told you about or anything like that. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> no, it's uh, actually kind of, you do, it, it is just a little bit more emotional watching it back. And, and it, that could be for two reasons. The first reason, it could be literally just nostalgia. It could be actually a little part of your brain that's like, yep, this is, 10 year old you all over again and maybe that's actually just quite a melancholic thing but actually what it might be is that you're looking at I don't know the development of human beings in this as uh, as as an emotional thing and I would look at the montages quite differently now than how I would look at the montages 15 years ago like the montages when I first watched it were like oh there's a little bit of a break, no dialogue sort of thing. Let's uh, go outside, <laughs> go go get a cup of tea, whatever. Not like go get some popcorn, whatever you do in between montages when you're 10 years old. Uh, whereas now it's kind of like the montages are actually really, really important and are as important as any other part. And, and especially that montage where they have Bonzo goes to Bitburg by Ramones playing. And it's I think there's just two of them really I can't remember what what song they use for for the other one where it's basically them all coming together and the band is slowly taking shape and it's a progression of time and I don't know um is it, like people are getting cooler and people are getting more knowledgeable and I think during that particular Ramones montage you've got like Freddie watching great drummers and you've got Summer maybe reading certain books and all these dif- these different bits of education are happening there's an assimilation of knowledge and there is ultimately then a progression of each individual and I found that kind of emotional I was like this is really nice and 
those montages now watching it have a completely different meaning to me than the sort of right break time from all the funny bits <laughs> and the music bits as as it were as it were when you're watching this movie as a kid yeah yeah it does it it definitely does change the you see it in like you could see it from a 10 year old's point of view 15 16 year old someone in college you know the, there's so many touch points that it has on it and like when we suggested we were going to do this i was like are we going to have enough in school rock but there's there's actually so much in it there's there's so mm. much to go back and be I think it has a lot more layers than they probably give it credit for. And it's written very well, actually. And I think the characters are all written very well. So there is definitely enough in it. But I totally agree with you. It, it, there is that nostalgia element about it. And I can like I can remember standing in the middle of extra vision with this shitty popcorn that used to be on the counter that smelled <laughs> really fucking bad. I feel like I'm back watching School of Rock. You know, it's it really puts you in a place like. I yeah and like I, the, the more I'm starting to kind of like chew over that Ferris Bueller comparison the more I like it I would never really put it in the same category before but it's kind of close it like it's 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 almost there uh like it, ha- it does have that emotional bit which I didn't yeah. really think it ever had I thought it was quite surface level before and it's no coincidence like Richard Linklater directed it and like I mean that was a name that was kind of like burned onto my brain when I was nine, ten years of age, just because he popped up every time I was watching School of Rock. And like little did I know that his work was actually going to be so important to me throughout his own his whole career. Every other piece of of of, of filmmaking he's done by and large has has had an impact one way or another. Like whether it's yeah. boyhood or whether it's the before um before series uh, days and confused. It's kind of like everything he has done has uh has as jack black said has touched me and i hope i touched them has, <laughs> has had some sort of impact on me one way or another and uh i don't know like there is a link letter stamp on the direction of that movie and it is it's a tad above even the the, the great kids movies that you can talk about just it has that extra bit and you can yeah. probably tell and I'm kind of struggling to articulate what exactly I mean here because it is a hard thing to describe. It is it is a very hard thing to say what, what to explain what I'm trying to talk about here. But everybody who's watched this movie as much as we have knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it, it's it, it feels like it's an on the cusp film for me. It's just on the cusp of everything happening. And also, there's like a, there's a real sadness for me when I watch this film because you know the scene where uh, Freddie goes out to the van and he's like sitting in the back of the van with the guys and he's like just playing cards. He's not actually doing anything too bad. And uh, Jack Black comes out and he like starts giving out to all the guys. He's like, but do you think it's right for you to have a kid in the back of a van? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Like, get your life together. And you've already, you just start to realize that he started to change. Like he's mm. probably started to let go of a couple of bits in his life. Like, you know, he sets up the school of rock afterwards. So it's, there is a kind of a sadness to it that there's a lot of letting go. And uh, it is interesting, isn't that there is like, um, a lowly male protagonist who doesn't really have a love interest in this. That's mm. the, like, I mean, that's always the character arc that the, yeah. the sad man gets the girl in the end and they all live happily ever they after. They start their or, life out. <laughs> yeah, or maybe in a, in a big plot twist, they don't live happily ever after. But there is nothing to live happily ever after with. It's just him and his guitar and his music. That is his love. Yeah. Yeah, and you they, they they kind of I felt like they kind of teased the John Cusack John Cusack thing a little bit. That you then like, Spider comes along. Yeah, <laughs> Sp- Spider stole your girl, uh, Jack Black. That, that's <laughs> I think the the exact phrase. Of what happened? But he doesn't uh, seem to be that interested in her either. But I just I felt like she was the she was teased as being possible love interest that he was going to bring her out of Rochelle and they were going to have this lovely relationship. But no, you maybe. never feel like there was nothing there. We need we need the sequel to be able to find out. Um, right. Anything else to, to add? Uh, I think I mean that's it. I think we got had a pretty good innings on on Scooter Rock there. Just just my hangover rating. Oh it's yes, a ten, it's a ten for me. Sorry. Yes, ten out of ten. Ten. Like the... Ten out of ten. Easy, easy, easy watch. It's up there with Garden State for me as well. Like Garden State is one of my hangover films. I just love watching Garden State. I'm over Dirty Dancing and Scooter Rock. Right. Don't okay. Need... Well, we've got two future episodes there as well, uh, and I, yeah, we we absolutely have to do those. Like it's just as I said at the top, it is a staple of the rewatch rotation. It's um, it's on Netflix now, by the way. If anybody 
uh, wants to seek it out. So now's the time to rewatch it if you haven't seen it in a while. It's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. And maybe as we've kind of started to scratch away the surface here today, Sue, it's probably a little bit underrated. Yeah, I actually do think I, I that was exactly what I thought last night when I watched it, because obviously it's been it's, it's about 10 years since I watched it last and I was just like, this is actually an underrated film. It's very, very good. I was really surprised when we were talking to Jer about it on AM and he was like, no, I, I haven't seen it. And I wonder if it's missed a whole group of people that were who, that who didn't just... have kids or who were exactly. Yeah. And it's just I, I think they probably think <laughs> <laughs> watching SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, but like I definitely, I definitely do think they're there are a lot of people that probably miss this and probably don't go back to it as much as it, it probably hit a couple of generations perfectly and didn't hit anything, anyone else in between. And that's kind of disappointing because it is, it is actually better than just being another kid's phone, much better. Mm. And yeah. It's uh, like, I mean, it's, it's so accessible as well. M- the music is great. The original stuff is, is phenomenal great. and the soundtrack is obviously uh, sensational as well. So uh, that has been episode nine of let's go back to it's the first time it's just been myself and Sue because I mean we just have a shared love of this movie it's been a school of rock that we've done we would love to hear your suggestions for any future episodes you want to hear anything you want to hear us go back and watch whether it's a movie whether it's a television show we've done loads of great stuff so make sure uh, to go and follow us on let's go back to you can click follow on on Spotify or on Apple but the first place to get us is at the go loud app where you'll get all our episodes there first Sue Murphy great stuff thank you uh, thanks for been... bringing me back yeah, no, thank you. Let's go back to School of Rock. So you can listen to for the last little while. We shall chat to you next time. Bye-bye. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Light app.